which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin, committing in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifested while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices were offered, which cannot make him who performed the services perfect in regards to the conscience concerned, only with foods and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances proposed until the time of Reformation. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that you've given us, Lord, to uh, be here and be uh, part of Jackie's service today, Lord God. We just uh, ask for safety during this uh, this weather that we have, Lord. And we just ask that this new year is uh, is our best year yet, Lord God. We just ask that we grow closer to you and that uh, we get to know you in a newfound way. And we just thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My life, Whew, there I am. Hey, um, I don't know. You guys uh, saw the the news about the Whipples. You guys hear about the Whipples? Their house caught on fire. And uh, thank God. I guess my understanding, just so Bruce don't have to repeat this story five hundred times today, that most of the damage is in the attic. Uh, what day was it, Bruce? So Friday night, uh, went out on the prayer chain, and, and folks were praying and lifting them up. And, uh, you know, thankfully, the, the, the damage is not as bad as it could have been. So, so uh, they're going to be displaced for a while, but please keep them in prayer as they uh, um, look to put all the pieces back together. You're back in the house? You're a crazy man. So he's in the house. So pray there's no holes in the roof. <laughs> oh, praise God. So, man, God's so good, huh? Praise the Lord. So, just exciting to see the hand of God moving. If you guys remember last week when we were, uh, when we were together, we talked about the, the problem of the Old Covenant. Now, we're in a section in Hebrews where the writer of Hebrews is putting together what the whole Old Covenant was about. What the Old Testament, how the Old Testament is a progression into the New Testament. The Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Same words. That, that God was in His progressive revelation, revealing Himself to the people, and then at just the right time, He brings in, ushers in the new covenant, how? Through the blood of His Son, right? We read last time how the, the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross began 
the new covenant. The new covenant began there. But as a, the writer is developing the, the superiority of Christ, remember we started in Hebrews 1. Jesus is better. He's better than the old ways. He is better than everything. He's, and now we're in a section where it's talking about he's better than the old covenant. The old covenant, this is a concept we're going to be talking about a lot. The old covenant was a picture. The new covenant reality is Jesus Christ. The picture is not what we're supposed to love. The picture instructs us what to be looking for, right? You look at the picture and say, okay, when, when this guy gets off the plane, I know what he looks like. But you'd be in trouble if you come to your boss and you bring him the picture and say, look, I brought the picture back from the airport. I didn't see the real guy, but I brought the picture back. That's not what we're supposed to do. What do we do? We use the picture to what? Lead us to the reality. The picture brings us to Jesus Christ. And that's really what Hebrews 9 is all about. So last time we saw the problems of the Old Covenant, that we can't keep it. The Old Covenant shows us what? Our sin. It shows us that we fall short. And we need a Savior. The New Covenant shows us who the Savior is. Is everybody tracking with me? So let's look at the purpose. Let's see the purpose of the Old Covenant in these next ten verses. Each covenant was given by God when it was given for the purpose of revealing Himself. Because you and I, we only know about God by what He shows us. Do we understand that? None of us are smart enough to find God ourselves. God reveals Himself to us. And so God revealed Himself to us in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, showing us our need for a Savior. He continues to reveal Himself to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now the first thing that we see in the first five verses are the materials that were in the tabernacle. Now remember, when Moses receives the Ten Commandments, he also got blueprints. He got blueprints for building the tabernacle. So those blueprints and those uh, 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 instructions are what he's going to follow. So he tells us about these materials in the tabernacle. Let's look at it. Verse 1. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand, the table, uh, and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. So he said, just even the Old Covenant had its regulations. Now, a lot of people trip up over these concepts all the time about how come we don't apply all those regulations today. Because all of those regulations find themselves in the Old Covenant. They've served a purpose, the fulfillment of which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ fulfills those things. So when people trip out about, oh, you know, you follow the Bible, why do you eat shellfish? Because Jesus Christ is my high priest. He paved the way so that the dietary restrictions, the worship environment, the fact that you used to go to a tent and go, and you couldn't go in, the priest had to go in for you. Those things were pass away. They're the picture. Jesus Christ is the reality. Are you tracking? Jesus Christ is the reality. All those other things are the pictures. And we're going to take a look at all those things in the holy place. I want you to picture that tabernacle as a rectangle. Okay, it's a rectangle. Two-thirds of that rectangle is what's called the holy place. When you would enter into the holy place, it's the first section that we're talking about, it was a tent, multiple coverings over the tent. There's no light in the tent, in the entire tent. If you walked into that tent, you could not see your hand in front of your face. When you walk into the tent, the only thing providing light in the holy place 
was the menorah. The seven-branch candle stand, remember? So that provides light for the entire holy place. We'll talk about the Holy of Holies in a minute. So in the entire holy place, you have the menorah. So you have the menorah, the table of showbread, or the table of His presence. The table of His presence was twelve loaves of bread, one for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. It was replaced... Um, and when it was replaced, it would go to food for the priests, and the other loaves would be brought in. So they had the table of his presence, the menorah, and right in front of the veil, you had the golden altar, the altar of incense, we're going to see in just a moment. So you can kind of see, this is how worship was done in the Old Covenant. And every piece of it, every stick... Every step, every part pointed to Christ. Every part was a picture. So that we could see the picture is Jesus, the finished revelation. Remember how the book of Hebrews began? God, and in various times and in various ways, has spoken to us in time past through the prophets. Remember? But He has in these last days spoken, finished. How? Through His Son. Everything else pointed to Christ. Christ, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all of it. It all wraps up in Him. So let's take a look at some of them. Some of them we've talked about. Let's talk about the menorah. The menorah, seven branch uh, um, light stand. It, it wasn't really candlesticks. It was oil, right? It was oil, wicks, burning in oil. The only light in the entire place. And what does that remind us of? It should remind us of John 8.12. Because John 8.12 says this. Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of what? The world. Is it interesting he didn't say I'm the light of Israel? Or he didn't say I'm the light of the Jews? What did he say? I'm the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. So if the light wasn't in the holy place, you couldn't see. You couldn't see. The revelation of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, helps us see. We wouldn't be able to see in worship apart from Jesus Christ. None of it would make sense. Jesus Christ is the light. We follow Him, right? We follow Him. Where He goes, we go. Where He calls us, we want to be a part of. But the other thing we see in the menorah, we've talked about before, it was a seven-branch Candle stand, right? It was the seven branches. So you had one vine, six branches. One vine, six branches. We talked about it before. Six in number of man. We read about it in Revelation. When we talk about the number of the beast, <clears throat> what does it say? His number is the number of man. Six hundred and... Come on, everybody knows that one, right? Six, six, six. Seven is the number of perfection, right? Is man perfect? No. The only way man is perfect is when he does what? He's joined to the vine. What did Jesus say in John 15 verse 5? He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Think about what he said. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Right? So where does man find his completeness? Where is it all wrapped up? It's when man is joined to Christ. 
who is what? The light of the world. The only way through which we can see. The only way through which we can understand the life around us. See, the whole world, the lost world, runs around thinking they've got it all figured out. And they come up with all kinds of different plans and all kinds of different ways out of a, maybe even out of a heart of compassion and empathy to try to make things better. But if you're not following the light of Jesus Christ, you can't make the darkness brighter. The darkness just gets darker. The problems just get, they may change, they may get different, but they, I don't know, I'm uh, old. I'm not old as some. Yeah. But I've lived long enough to see things that weren't so bad get worse. Anybody else notice any of that? I mean, I, I used to keep my keys in my truck. My door was not ever locked. And the kids, they played like wild man in the neighborhood. And we call them, open up a door and whistle. My dad used to whistle for me when I was a kid. Now when the grandkids are over, I'm like a hawk, man. Like, where are them kids at? We're going to make sure they're... Why is it like that? Well, the world's not following Jesus Christ. He's the light. You follow the darkness, where do you end up? Just in darker places. He's the menorah. He's the way we understand worship. He's how we know the holy place. And then we had the table of showbread, right? The table of His presence. The bread of His presence. The bread of His presence. John chapter 6. You want to understand the bread of His presence? Read John chapter 6. John chapter 6, there's this whole discussion going on with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees says, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Right? You guys know they had manna in the wilderness? Do you know what God always called that? Bread from heaven. Who is the bread from heaven? Because in that same diatribe with the Pharisees, what's Jesus going to say? In John 6, 48-50, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it. And not die. Jesus is saying, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. He's not talking about cannibalism. What's he talking about? He's got to be in you. You ever heard a Christian say, is Jesus in your heart? How does he get there? The way Jesus described it is, you got to eat me. you got to eat me so that I become a part of you. So I'm in you. So that I can work on you from the inside out. We just say it different today. If you ask the Lord Jesus to be in your heart. It's the same idea. I need Christ in me. That's the hope of glory. Christ in me. If Christ's not in me, i got nothing. I need Him in me. I need His sustenance. What was the, the table of His presence? The little picture of the bread of life. The light of the world. The bread of life. What's it all pointing to? Jesus, right? All talking about, all pointing to, all wanting us to be able to see the presence of Jesus Christ in it all. But it's it's so incredible. I want you to see, look at verse 3. It says, and behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy. You guys have heard of that, right? The Holy of Holies? The Holy of Holies? If you guys go to Israel today, there's a place called the, the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Everybody heard about that before? 
if you've been there, you, you touched it. And if you were there with me, you walked up on top. So <clears throat> when, we, when we go and we look at it, the point of the Western Wall, it's the closest point a Jew can get today to the Holy of Holies. It's not that the wall is holy. It's not that there's some magical properties about the wall. The wall is just the foundation stones to the, to the Temple Mount. But it's as close as he can get to the Holy of Holies. The place where the Spirit of God dwelt in the nation of Israel. But what separated that place? Two-thirds is the Holy of place, the Holy Place. What separated it? it? Was a veil, right? We had the veil. Now here's what some people don't understand when we talk about the veil, when we look at the veil. The veils, it's it's sewn of purple, blue, and scarlet. Purple, blue, and scarlet. King from heaven who died. You with me? Purple, blue, scarlet. The Bible tells us, the scripture lays out for us, that, in fact, in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20, it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, how do we enter the holy places? Only a high priest could go before. How do we enter? Through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the... No man comes to the Father except how? Through me. So we come through Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, through the veil, which is His, what does it say? Flesh. The veil is His flesh. So the symbol in the tabernacle, the veil, is the body of Jesus Christ. Nothing's on accident. The whole veil had sewn all over it cherubs. Cherubs, not little fat angels. A cherub is a throne guardian. <laughs> it, Hallmark made them little fat angels. You, trust me, you see a cherub, you're not going to go, Oh, what a cute little cherub. Maybe you will, I don't know. Maybe they're, maybe they're cute. But most people see angels, don't do that. So, anyhow. So they're covered with cherub. A cherub is from a, an Akkadian word. It means throne guardian. They're... The cherub are always around the throne of God. So on earth, what is the Holy of Holies? If the cherubs are there in the Holy of Holies, then what is it? It's a throne of God. It's a throne of God. The veil, the flesh of Jesus Christ. Purple, color for a king. Blue, the heavens, right? Sky. Red, blood of Jesus Christ. That's how it's all put together. Now here's what I don't want you to miss. And some people miss this when they study the tabernacle. The veil was made of that material. You back up to the holy place. The door into the holy place was made of that material. Back up and go to the gate that led you to the court where the priest was. Was made of that material. Same material every way because the only way To enter into worship into the presence of God is through Jesus Christ. Every bit of that veil is the flesh. He is the way, the truth, and the life. In John 10, 9, listen to what it says. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. 
How do we get in to worship? How do we get into the presence of God? Through Jesus Christ. How did they do it in the tabernacle? They walked through this curtain. The curtain, the same material for the gate that leads into the court where the sacrifice is done. Same material goes into the holy place. Same material to the holy of holies. Why? Because Jesus is always the way. He's the only way. The, the linen fence went all the way around the outer court, but the gate in the linen fence was purple, blue, scarlet. The door going in the Holy of Holies, purple, blue, scarlet. The veil, purple, blue, scarlet. Why? Because Jesus is the way. There ain't no other way. He's it. It is a picture of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done and how we can have a relationship with God. Because the only way, guys, the only way to the Holy of Holies where God is was through Jesus. You had to go through him. All throughout the Old Testament. They were just walking through a curtain. They're just walking through a curtain. But what's, what is the curtain? The curtain was a symbol, guys. It's a symbol of the door. It's a symbol of the gate. It's a symbol of the way to enter in. Now, what was in the Holy of Holies? Let's look at it. It says in verse 3, Behind the curtain, a second section called the Most Holy Place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim. Remember what I told you, throne guardians. Above it was the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. And of these things, and we cannot now speak in detail, but I can. So I'm going to do it in detail, because he, he didn't want to do it. So what's, what's going on? So it says, in the Holy of Holies is the golden altar. Now, What we see is the golden altar was right in front of the curtain. But it was used behind it. Okay, once a year, only once a year could a high priest go into the Holy of Holies in the presence of God. So you and I, if we're believers today, we can go in the presence of God how often? Oh yeah, how many times a day can you go to the presence of God? The Bible says you can enter boldly into the throne of grace, can't you? You can go before the presence of God every day as much as you want to every day. But then you could only go once a year. And you couldn't go. Only a representative from you, a high priest, would go in. He would go to the golden altar, burn incense, fill a censer, which symbolized the prayers of the people seeking forgiveness and the cleansing from God. And he would take the censer through the veil into the Holy of Holies. The censer would go. So, so the golden altar is used on the other side. Now, the rest of the time, the priests could enter into the holy place and they could make prayers at the golden altar. But on the Day of Atonement, the golden altar is in the Holy of Holies. Are you with me? Are we tracking? So that's how the golden altar is used. The golden altar, guys, speaks of that place for intercession. Remember what Jesus said. Hebrews 7.25 says, Consequently, He, Jesus Christ, is able to do what? Save me to the uttermost. But only me? He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. How do we get near to God? Through Him. So how did you get near to the Holy of Holies? You had to go through 
symbolically you're going through Christ, right? You had to go through the veil, which is his flesh, to enter into the presence of God. It's all pictures. So that we can see all the pieces as God is revealing himself. Because the bottom line is, can you handle everything God knows about you right now? Can you handle everything God has planned for your life right now? You want it all? You want it like the day you're born, God to lay it all out for you? There you go. Nope, I just went a little bit at a time. Don't give it all to me. It, it may seem too good or too bad. So what is it that, that the psalmist would declare? Uh, just give us this day our daily bread. Just give me what I need now. Right? So all through history, what has God done? He's been revealing himself to men. Pictures, symbols, until he got to Jesus Christ. Now it's, we've got it all. God has finished what he has to say. So what does it say? Everyone who draws near to God through Jesus, since he always lives, or he lives eternally, to make intercession for us. The golden altar is the altar of intercession. That's where the priest would offer the prayers of the people. That's where the priest would go to God and, and say, God, forgive them. Who does that now? Jesus. That's where the priest would stand between the wrath of God and the people. Who does that now? Jesus stands between the wrath of God and me. That's all. This incredible, intricate picture that the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us that we can understand. And then, so you, you pass the golden altar, you're through the veil, and sitting right in the middle, basically a 10 by 10 square, <coughs> is the Ark of the Covenant. We've talked about it before. The Ark of the Covenant is really two pieces of furniture. The Ark is the box. The box speaks of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the box was made out of wood and covered with gold. Wood speaks of humanity. Gold speaks of divinity. Jesus was fully man and fully God. And into Jesus Christ goes what? Goes the golden censer of the, the manna, the golden bowl of manna. Goes Aaron's rod that budded. Goes the Ten Commandments. Why do they all go into Christ? Well, ultimately, he fulfills it all. But what else? Each one of those things symbolizes a failure of men. All men's failure goes into Christ. Because he's the one who pays the price. Goes in the box. It all goes in the box. He guys, is the, the Ark of the Covenant. But He's not only the Ark. He is also the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the top. The word mercy seat, people struggle. It's, it's, it comes up in the Bible a couple times. The word in the Greek is hilasterion. Hilasterion really means propitiation. Satisfaction. The lid to the box is the satisfaction. God is satisfied with what Jesus has done. God is satiated. He is propitiated. There is a propitiation to satisfy the wrath of God. That's, that's what the mercy seat's all about. So think, think about these things in Christ. The golden bowl of manna. Manna, man, man, man. Man always called bread from heaven. What's this? 
What did people do when they looked at Jesus? The Bible says he was nothing special about him. No one was drawn to him because he was pretty, because he looked good, because he had it all together. That's not why they came to him. He looked just like everybody else. He was despised by the people. They didn't look at him like this great illustrious leader. One day, the Antichrist is going to come with all these solutions to all these problems, and everybody's going to bow down and say, Woohoo, man, this guy, that's the real Messiah. But Jesus they didn't think much of. They called him, what's this? Hebrew word for what's this? Manna. Manna. Golden bowl of the manna. Aaron's rod that budded. Remember, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread from heaven. I'm the true bread from heaven. There's the manna. We have Aaron's rod that budded. What was that? That was all about the people saying... Why should we have to follow Moses and Aaron? I mean, gosh, you know, we're all just as smart as them. I don't know, because God said? That seemed like a good enough reason for me. But people struggle with that, right? I can do this better than he can. So they had a contest. They took a bunch of dead sticks. They laid them in the tabernacle. They went in the next morning. And Aaron's dead stick came to life. What did Jesus say? He was looking at Mary and Martha at the time. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that God calls dead things to life. He brings life from the dead. So Aaron's rod buds. What does it speak of? Men rebellion against God's leadership. God, either we believe in God's sovereignty. Sovereignty meaning God's king and we're not. And that ultimately God as king, we follow him, he doesn't follow us. And so we don't always like the way things work out, but ultimately we look to him as our sovereign, as our leader, we follow him. He may put other leaders before us and we follow them as they follow him. Isn't that what Paul said? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Come on, let's go. We're all headed to the same place together. That was God's purpose and God's plan. Men rebelled against that plan. It goes in the box. The rebellion of man goes in Jesus Christ. How about Ten Commandments? We don't have to go work too hard at that one, do we? Anybody not break them today? Anybody want to raise their hand and say, yeah, I didn't break them today? Just so I can have some fun? So, we got, we got the Ten Commandments. The, the, the failure... <clears throat> to fulfill the tablets of law. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus, in Matthew five seventeen, He said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I came to what? Fulfill them. So all the law is fulfilled where? In Christ. Where did they put it? In the box. In Christ. The law is fulfilled in Christ. I'm a law keeper. How am I a law keeper? I fulfill the law in Christ. Because Christ is in me and the law is in Christ. You get it? All pictures painted on the scripture so that we can follow them. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the end. The fulfillment of the law. Christ fulfilled the law. The law is in Christ. Christ is in me. He's my intercessor. He stands on the scales for me. I don't stand on the scales. He does it. Jesus Christ 
is the fulfillment of the law. So this bark, this, this, this ark shows all of that. And then above the ark we have that mercy seat. And I just want you to understand. You go back and you read in the history of the ark. The ark was lost once. Not in the movie like Raiders of the Lost Ark. You guys seen that one? The ark was lost once because they took it to battle. The Raiders of the Lost Ark acts like, oh, the Jews always took the ark to battle. No, they did it once and God said, that's dumb. Why'd you do that? And they lost it. And the Philistines got the ark. And you know what the Philistines did with the ark? They put it in this this big room next to Dagon, their god. And the next morning they come out and Dagon's laying on his face. So they stand him up. And the next day they come in and Dagon's on his face again. So they stand him up. And the next day they go in and Dagon's on his face and broken into little pieces. So they decide, man, I don't, I don't know about this ark. Then all the people started getting sick. All the people started getting hemorrhoids. Read your Bible. It's full of crazy stuff, man. I'm just telling you. So the Philistines decided to make a bunch of gold. The Bible will read like this. They made golden tumors. Okay. Just so you know, that word's not tumor. But they didn't want to say they made golden hemorrhoids and put it inside. They opened the ark. They took the mercy seat off. They put gold inside. They tried to make an appeasement to God. They put the mercy seat on. They put it on a cart. They got it drug out with, uh, with uh, which one? John, you always got to straighten me out. Heifers? They took the calves away from the cows and put the cows on the, on the, on the flag. Yeah. So I do, cow's a cow to me, but I always say it wrong. You always straighten me out. So the heifers take it, and the calves are back there going, come back. Come back, mom, but mom leaves. So the heifers take it back. Uh, what I want you to understand is they take the Ark of the Covenant to a Jewish settlement. This is important. They go to the Jewish settlement. The Jews are like, oh, wow, look, here's the Ark of the Covenant. <coughs> it showed up. It showed up. But the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant was with who? Who did God make the Old Covenant with? Israel, right? He made it with them. He made it with them. It was their covenant. It wasn't the Philistines' covenant. Whose covenant was it? It was a covenant with Israel. And what did they do? They walked over to the Ark and they pulled off the mercy seat. And God's wrath fell down and people died all around it. That was just like the movie. Why did they die? Because they knew if you take the mercy away, all that's left is the judgment of God. If you don't have the mercy, you have the judgment of God. And they took it off. They pulled off the mercy to look at the judgment. The Philistines, they didn't know nothing about it. But the Jews, they did. They pulled away the mercy seat. This is what the Bible says. 1 John 2.2 1 John 2.2 says this. He, Jesus Christ, is the mercy seat. Same exact word. Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. He's the mercy seat between God's wrath and the world. He's the mercy seat. See, it's all pictures. It's all pictures so that we can understand. Romans 3.25 
Romans 3.25 says, Speaking of Jesus Christ, same word again, Whom God put forward as a mercy seat. Hilasterion. Your Bibles will say propitiation. It's the same word. Mercy seat. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He passed over former sins. What's that mean? God doesn't judge us today for what we deserve. Because today Jesus Christ is covering the world with His mercy. Now you might say, I don't really feel like I feel God's mercy. All you got to do is turn to that last book in your Bible and read from chapter 6 to chapter 19. And you will realize the world's still pretty good. Because you read that section, that's not God's mercy. That's God's wrath. The wrath of God, Revelation 6 to 19. Hebrews 9.5 Above it, the cherubim of glory overshadowing the hilasterion, the mercy seat. Jesus Christ is the mercy seat. This is all the pieces that were used. All the pieces that were used to worship God in the Old Covenant. They're all Jesus. Over and over again, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. You look at something and you say, I don't know what that is, but somehow it's Jesus. I just spent a little time digging in it and I'll figure it out. It's all pointing to Jesus. Look at Hebrews 9, 6. So these preparations... Having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. So what's that mean? Any priest could go in the first part, where the menorah and the showbread and the golden censer is. Everybody with me? So they could go into that place whenever they needed to, but only a priest, you and I can't. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he only once a year, and he cannot go without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicated the way into the holy place was not yet open. So I'll just think about it. So in the Old Covenant, the way into the presence of God wasn't open yet. When do we know that the way was open? Now think about it. Think with me. Jesus dies on the cross. What happened? The veil was torn. What did God say? Now you can come. How do you get in? Through the flesh of Jesus Christ. But now anybody can come. The old covenant is gone. The new covenant is here. No more is it you trying to obey external commands. Now I will put my law in your heart. I will move into you. I will take up residence. But only one way, through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. This is the ministry of the tabernacle we see here. And the first thing we see in the Old Covenant, the access to God was limited. You couldn't go, I couldn't go, only a priest, and only a high priest once a year. Today, we don't have that problem. You see how the Old Covenant is not as good as the New? That Jesus Christ ushers in the New Covenant? Look at verse... Uh, Let's look at verse 9. We see the ability of the sacrificial system to change us. It didn't change us. Look, it says in verse 9, which is symbolic for the present age. So back up. Look at verse 8. 
By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place was not yet open. The first section is still standing. Is it still standing today? Is there a temple for you to go to? Can you go see it? No. How come there's no temple? Because that time's over. God says it's done. You don't need that no more. Now you have Jesus. But men, still today, the Jewish people still today are holding on to a picture rather than going to the reality of their Messiah. And we, as believers, should not turn from the reality of Christ to go grab a hold of a picture as though now I have that picture, it's going to make me closer to Jesus Christ. Because the old is passing away. And in verse 9, it says these things are symbolic. I'm not making it all up. What's it say? It's all symbol. What's the word for symbolic? Parabole. You ever heard of that word before? Parabole. What's it sound like? Parables. It's all parables. What's a parable? A story. A story that did what? Illustrated a greater truth. So what is the old sacrificial system? A parable that does what? Illustrates a greater truth. Who's the greater truth? Jesus Christ. He's the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, man, He's better than all of these things. These things were symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts, sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. You brought a sacrifice, and you brought a sacrifice, and you brought a sacrifice, but your heart didn't change. Now in the new covenant, your heart changes. Look, let me just tell you straight. If you think you have a relationship with Christ and your heart ain't changed, you don't have a relationship with Christ. So don't lie to yourself and say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I did a thing, or I prayed a prayer, or I was baptized in the River Jordan. None of that stuff matters. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your heart changes. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying all those old sacrifices never changed the heart. What changes in my heart? Now I want to please God. Now I want to follow God. Now I want to love God. My heart is not the same heart it was. But you guys would not even believe the ugly craziness. You have to ask Kathy. She's the only one that my mom, my mom knows. She's not talking, though. I have bribed her into silence. Look, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you ought to look like you got hit by a truck. You understand what that means? If you come to me and say, oh, yeah, Jesus, my Lord and Savior, but you don't look like you've been hit by a truck, you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus is like a Mack truck, man. When he hits you, bam, you know something hits you. Yeah? You ever had somebody come to you and say, oh, the other day I was playing on the freeway. Then I got hit by a car. And you look at him and you go, no, you did not. Man, all your legs are pointed the right way. You're all still together. You didn't get hit by nothing. It's no different when we talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes into your life, that's what it ought to look like. You guys hear what I'm saying? It changes. There's a change. Otherwise, it's not real. Well, then what do I do if it's not real? It's real simple, man. This is what the Bible says. The Bible calls all men everywhere to repent. you got to do the repent part. Oh, yeah. 
Got to repent and believe. So you say, man, I'm struggling with that. Then where do I go? I go to God. I fall on my knees before God and I say, God, help me. I want to repent and believe. For he will give good gifts to those who ask. God's not going to deny you. We go to him and we ask, Lord, do this move, do this work in my life. But the old system, that's a new one, the old system, doing outward good deeds. Yeah, it doesn't matter how many houses I went to at a four-wheeler and, and plowed driveways. It did not get me to heaven. No, got me cold. Frozen <laughs> snot all over my face. It was not pretty. <laughs> People would pull up in a car to talk to me, and I'm like, don't talk to me, Randy. You look at me. But nope, they still come talk to you. Crazy, crazy thing. But hey, it doesn't matter what you do. Good deeds don't do nothing. Good deeds, schmeeds, everybody can do that. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only way to the Father is through Him. Repent and believe. means I lay down my old life and I pick Him up and I say, It's all you now, not me. Pick Him up and we go... The last thing, verse 10. The activities of the tabernacle were only temporary. Look what he says. These things deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body. Look to this phrase. Imposed until the time of reformation. What was the time of reformation? When was the veil tore? When did Christ die? Boom. It was done. So you got all these other regulations. We read about them in the Old Testament all the time. And people start tripping on them. Look at all these regulations. Jackie, if you really want to be holy, you can't eat bacon no more. If I give up bacon, it don't make me no holier than those guys. Because according to the writer of Hebrews, all those regulations never brought them close to God. Because those regulations didn't change your heart. Only God can change your heart. So we come to the Lord in repentance and we ask God, change my heart. And God hits you with a Mack truck. Blam. And it changes. And if it don't, I would suggest getting on your knees and talking to God like that a lot. Because you need it to. You need the reality. Because a lot of people today fool themselves into thinking... They have something they don't have. We need the reality. Reality is Jesus Christ. We come to Him, humility. We come to Him, repenting and believing. And the Bible says, Whosoever believes on Him, what? Shall have everlasting life, right? Yeah, we got to come. It's got to be real, man. Not, not some, there's no formula. The one error I think the church made in, in the past is we, we developed a formula. The formula was come up. We'll pray a prayer over you. We'll baptize you. And there's the formula. But the formula doesn't do it. What does it is a heart really seeking God. Wanting to go before God. To fall on his face before God like David did. And prayerfully, 21 days of focusing on God will bring a lot of us to that place. Because there's a lot of us we need to repent. There's a lot of us need to be on our face before God and say, Lord, man, I'm, I'm missing the boat. I'm messing up. 
forgive me. But God, we have a relationship with God. If you have it, you've been hit by the truck. I'm here to tell you, other people can argue, but they'll be wrong. I don't mind. If you got a relationship with God, you don't lose it. You don't lose it. Jesus doesn't halfway save somebody. He saves them to the uttermost. He doesn't almost save them. In a, in a, in a while, we go to the next half of chapter 9, he's going to say, you have eternal salvation. So let me just ask you, how long does that last? Oh, funny how that is. Yeah. So you got the relationship. You got it. What if I messed up? What if I sinned? You got the relationship. What do you do? The Bible says, confess your sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's a relationship. It's a walk wherein we are following Jesus. Because He's faithful to do what He said He would do. He does it. He does it. The old way, it doesn't get us there. The new way... Jesus Christ, man, it it does abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. And we're going to see that in the rest of chapter 9. But that will have to be another day. You guys okay with that? So we'll cover that next week. For now, the old is past. The new has come. And everyone, please hear me, everyone who calls on the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ. How's it go? Shall be saved. So have that. Have that call. Call in the name of the Lord. Allow Him to do that work He wants to do in your life. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just uh, we want to thank you, God, for the work that you're doing. For how you're moving in our lives, God. For what you're laying out for us to see, to know, and to understand, God. And I just pray, Lord, maybe, maybe we really never understood what the Old Testament shows us. And how it brings all these pieces together. Maybe we never thought about the, the pictures of the Old Covenant and what we have in Christ. And I just pray, God, as we, as we look to you, as we want to see and experience all that you have for us, God, that we would... Just open our eyes to that truth, the reality, God, that you are everything that we need. That, Lord, you are faithful to do what your word says you'll do. If your word says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart, God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. I'm run over by a truck. You changed my heart. God, I just pray that we would all have that. that we would all know that. That we would have that relationship with Christ. That I can say, man, this... This is real. This happened. My life is changed. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm not what I was. And Lord, I thank you that you continue that work. The work that you've begun in us. That you don't lose us. That we don't slip. That we don't fall. God, you, those whom you save, you save to the uttermost. So God, I just pray, Lord, as we look at the old and the, and the pictures, God, that we wouldn't cling to a picture, but we cling to the reality. The reality is, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is everything I'm ever going to need. The only thing I'm ever going to need. Lord, I pray that we would come to you to know you. And Lord, that this day would be a day, Lord, as we can... Just see, God, your fingerprints in, through, and around our lives. And God, we give you praise.
that you are on the throne and that you are doing abundantly above and beyond all we could ask or imagine. Lord, we pray your blessing this morning and we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.